0: Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM, where we talk to business leaders and experts to gain valuable insights that will help you move your business forward. Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us for this next episode of Conversations in Business with RSM. My name is Henk Aymanz. I am a partner in the Johannesburg office of RSM South Africa, and I'm the National Quality Leader. Today, I'm going to talk about innovation, and with me is Paul Herring. He's the Global Chief Innovation Officer of RSM International. Before we start, I'm going to give Paul a chance to say hello and to introduce himself. Hi, Paul, and thanks for joining
1: us. Hi, Hank. Uh, delighted to be here. And uh, as you say, I'm Global Chief Innovation Officer with uh, RSM International. Officially, my office is in London, but uh, Like many of your listeners, I've been working from my home office for the last couple of years and just now beginning to get back into travel. So, yeah, it's an exciting time, I think, for all of us in the innovation space and looking forward to the discussion.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioning working from home because that was something that is actually, it's coming natural to us. We're all used to working from home now. But if you think about two years ago, it was a completely new concept, at least where I'm coming from in South Africa. So innovation has been around for a long time, but I think the pandemic has uh, forced us in some ways to innovate. And uh, I think some of us are actually at the point where we feel that we we are tired of all the innovations. But I don't think innovation is just about working from home. Let's take it a bit further. And maybe if you can just start us off with what sorts of innovations are you seeing out in, uh, in the profession or even outside in businesses, what businesses are doing globally in your role? What sort of innovations are you seeing there?
1: Yeah, thanks, Hank. And you're, I, I agree. I mean, innovation has been around a long time, hasn't it? So sort of thousands and thousands of years. But I also agree that the pandemic um, is not where we really saw innovation start and end. Uh, clearly, there have been you know, a number of um, of megatrends in business and, and in our profession that pre-existed the pandemic. I think the pandemic has certainly uh, poured fuel on the fire, if you like, and accelerated a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned working from home. I mean, clearly, there have been uh, tools available for people to be able to work. You know, remotely, um, increasingly the use of of mobile apps, you know, that have been with us now for what's it been 20 years or so, has really now uh, taken off. But if you you know, you ask me what innovations am I seeing, I think the uh, one one key shift I've seen is that um, there's a much greater awareness now than I think there was before of the potential that um, not only technology can bring. To enable new ways of working and um, new business models, but also the potential that data brings and a a greater awareness within businesses of the value uh, that can be extracted from from data in um, making more effective decisions. I I think it's elevated. And um, if you go back, you know, 20 years, innovation was still there as a concept. but It wasn't mainstream. I don't think like it is now. It was more, those sorts of conversations were more relegated to the R&D type of space, right? So it was considered almost a back office function. Now I see innovation as front and center. It's a boardroom okay. conversation today. Okay. But
0: you mentioned technology and data. Obviously, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, does it have to be technology focused? I'm very focused on technology and I know you are as well, but I'm sure there are some that are not as comfortable with technology Is there room for that in innovation? I mean, you talk about 20,000 years ago. We're talking about now. Can you still innovate if you don't
1: embrace technology? Yeah, and I think it's an important point, Hank, because um, clearly you you don't need technology to innovate. That's one area. But processes and the way in which we do things is also a rich, fertile ground for for innovation. In fact, some of the audience may recall back in the day when uh, business process engineering was a hot topic.
0: Mm, I was studying the right
1: so business process uh, re-engineering I mean that's another form of innovation It just happens to be focused on you know enhancing your business process uh, and, I, and I do think that uh, you know a lot of the people I speak to today in my role do tend to gravitate right away into the technology as soon as you mention innovation I mm. think oh, this must be a technology discussion and I think that's um, it's important to be aware of that risk because otherwise you miss opportunities. Uh, to innovate in around processes and people. So, for example, on the people side, one area of innovation, you know, we all are living now in a, a more acute war for talent, as they say. And, you know, one way that uh, businesses are perhaps innovating there would be to, you know, rethink uh, where do they go to hunt for new recruits? Is it the traditional campus recruits that they look for? You know, in, so in our profession, that would be accounting and finance, you know, undergraduates. Or do you look further afield? How do you shift uh, your overall recruiting plans to supplement perhaps your traditional sources with more experienced hires? So that's, a, that's an area uh, where you can apply innovation, not necessarily with technology, but can have significant business yeah. impacts.
0: Yeah. Um, you'll recall last year we talked about an initiative that we had in RSM South Africa. We uh, ran an innovation competition And it was interesting how we got quite a number of entries and we were quite encouraged by the creativity of the uh, entrants. But what I found interesting was a couple of them said, I've got an idea, but it doesn't really have to do with audit and accounting. So I suppose that doesn't really count. So people think that if you have an idea, uh, innovative idea in, in a firm like us, tax consulting and auditing firm, it has to be something that improves an audit or improves tax. These other places where it can make improvements
1: as well. Yeah, of course, and I think uh, actually it's an example of uh, I think one of the greatest uh, challenges in innovation for pretty pretty much any business, which is the business model innovation. So there's a spectrum of different types of innovation you can focus on, ranging from you know new products and services, enhancements to existing business processes, uh, but business model innovation I would say is one of the hardest, and I think it's hard because We all have a frame of reference, right? And the more experienced you are and the more time you spend living in a particular frame of reference, the more difficult it is for you to think outside that frame of reference. So uh, perhaps that's one reason why if you look across, you know, certainly the last hundred years since the, the last industrial revolution, most of the disruptions that take place in industries tend to come from the outside in. Right, so the um, the upheavals and the changes that take place. So, you know, Netflix, for example, is an often cited example. Right, that business started out as, uh, you know, rent your videotape from the store and then drive it home and pop it in your VCR machine, right? And look how that's evolved. So that's completely disrupted the um, you know the cinema industry and the and the TV business uh, from what it was. Um, and I think the same holds true for other sectors. It's um, very very difficult to um, effectively disrupt from the inside. So that example you gave of people saying, well, I've got a good idea, but I'm assuming it's not really relevant because it's not audit and tax, is is perhaps an example of that. People make an assumption about the constraints of the business model that they're in. You know, I I spent some time uh, uh, lecturing at one of the colleges um, here in Illinois on innovation, and I met with a group of uh, graduate students And I found that the interactions with those students were similarly focused within a preconceived context as to what the business model was. So a big opportunity there for those of us in innovation leadership roles to challenge that thinking um, and perhaps bring in perspectives from outside of the business to, to get people thinking in a way that they otherwise wouldn't think. Okay, so
0: outside, not only outside our business, even outside our industry. But something that we should also be careful of is people think, well, I'm not Einstein or I'm not the next Elon Musk or I'm not the whatever the next innovative thinker is. But there are roles for different kinds of people in innovation as well. There's probably even a role for the person who is always skeptical of innovation. Because we need them as a soundboard as well. There are those that probably need someone to sometimes pull on the brakes and to just to do a reality check. And then you also need, as you say, people from outside our industry. But you're right, that's actually much harder to put yourself outside the industry. So is there room for you if you don't see yourself as the, the most creative, innovative, the next Isaac
1: Newton? Absolutely. I, mean, I think it takes a it, it takes a village, as they would say, Hang to you know really be successful with innovation. I, I tend to think of innovation as um a continuum, right? So um just like if you were planting a garden, you need to have a you need to have a fertile ground, you need to be able to plant seeds there, and then you have to water those seeds and you know provide warmth and sunlight for the for the plants to grow. And I think it's the same with innovation. So you need an environment that's conducive for it, you need something where Those people within the organization who do have a creative mindset have a place where they can actually go to exercise that creativity, uh, and they're recognized for it. So I think there's a role there. But then you also if that's the only thing you do, of course, you're not really adding a lot in terms of business value. Ultimately, these ideas need to be um, you need to be able to pick out from the large volume of ideas those that really offer the best opportunity to add value uh, and are a lot best aligned with your overall business strategy. So that requires a level of um, of filtering. It requires some additional review, if you like, of the portfolio. Now, some organizations put a lot of reliance on their staff as a whole to provide that uh, input on the filtering through, you know, group voting as for thumbs up, thumbs down, gamification and other processes. Other organizations take a more top-down approach, so they rely on a, you know, a leadership group to review the portfolio. But, you know, that review process is a, is a different skill. Um, you know, a bit more judgment, you know, it's more of a judgmental type of role there, different type of, um, of mind, perhaps, than the creative one. Now you're beginning to apply some tests and boundaries, yeah. which uh, the creative types perhaps don't necessarily think that first. We've all been in these brainstorming situations where you're encouraged to not think about boundaries. And then when you move beyond, uh, you know, the next stage in the process where you selected your priorities, now you actually have to execute. And I would break down execution into, you know, two or three key steps. You've got design, right? There's a particular skill set around designing that particular solution. Then once you've designed it, now you need to actually build it. Um, in some cases it's a it's an actual product or solution. In other cases, it might be actually taking a change that's conceived to a process and turning that into a new process. So it doesn't have to be a you know a software tool. it could be a process change or a different way of doing business. Um, and then you've got the launch phase, right? So there's all the communications that that go with actually introducing that new way of doing things or that new solution. There's the change management with the target audience or those involved in supporting the solution. So there's a whole portfolio of different skills needed to really go all the way from planting those seeds in the garden to ultimately being able to harvest your crops.
0: And I suppose there could be a point in this process where somebody says, no, it's not worth it. Let's not innovate for the sake of innovation. Let's stop there and let's go back to the tried and tested. Is there such a thing as innovation just for the sake
1: of innovation? That's a good good question. My my personal view is that, you know, we're living in a world where regardless of what type of business we're in, the pace of change in the world is clearly accelerating. Um, A lot of that's driven by technology and because of that rate of change, The price that I think we pay either as individuals or as organizations, if we choose to focus on doing things the way we've always done them because we know they've worked, um, perhaps it's less risky and we're more comfortable with that. I think the risk that you pay, given the current environment that we're in, is much higher than it used to be. Mm -hmm. In other words, the risk that you face is that the services that you provide um, or the products that you sell are at risk of becoming less and less valuable to your audience, to your customers, your clients. Um, why? Because the needs and expectations of your clients and your users are evolving. So you know, if, if you're not taking that continuous improvement and that innovative approach to the world, well, I, I would argue that you're inherently at a higher risk then of becoming okay. marginalized by those players who are. So I, I think it's a question of philosophy. Now, of course, I think organizations in some ways reflect the diversity of um, individuals. You know, every organization has a different culture. Businesses have different strategies. You know, and innovation has a different role to play, I think, in some sectors, perhaps more than others. I don't think you'd want to have perhaps the same level of uh, radical innovation if you are in, uh, let's say, uh, a nuclear power plant management as if you were in um, you know, a business like 3M, for example, who's you know, made their name because of their ability to innovate. So I think it has to be calibrated depending upon the nature of the business that you're in and, and the culture that you're trying to either maintain or create.
0: So the level of innovation varies between different industries and different businesses and different cultures. But we can probably say unless you are in a business where you're Client base is extremely stable. Your product doesn't change. Your environment doesn't change. If you do not keep innovating to some extent, you are probably going to find yourself falling behind. Um, uh, You said already how difficult it is to come up with ideas, especially if you are thinking from the inside. How do you generate ideas? But now, fortunately, we've had this crisis. I said, fortunately, tongue in cheek, we've had this crisis that has forced us to innovate, to speak to each other across time zones, to work from home, to um, access experts from anywhere in the world, to sign electronically, all sorts of things. So we've had this pressure. But I'm sometimes disappointed when when I go back into the traffic and I see how much traffic there is again. I think we've just we've just wasted a good opportunity. How do we make this stick? How do we actually make this work now?
1: Yeah, that's no, a good, good question, Hank. I, I I'm a big believer in the in in the power of uh, of the crowd, or to put it another way, the intelligence of the community as compared with the the intelligence of the individual. So let's give a couple of examples. So we started out the discussion here talking about working from home. Well, if you look at the workforce now. The workforce at large have not forgotten the experience of the last two years. So I, I believe that if you look at people you're, you're recruiting or if you look at uh, your current employees, there are different expectations now that we need to recognize if we want to be successful in attracting and retaining people. Okay? People have different expectations than they had two years ago in terms of mobility and, and freedom to work. So I think that is irreversible. Another change I would argue is is irreversible is that many organizations, not all, have realized through being forced to work in this distributed model where people are remote of the potential from tapping into the broader group of personnel in the company than perhaps they had done previously. And I don't think you can put that genie in the bottle. And I think that's a good thing. It's a challenge to the traditional top-down governance model. Mm. that many of us grew up with. But clearly, if you've got input from a large group of people on a particular business challenge, you're going to get a much richer set of possibilities and thinking around that issue or opportunity than you would have if it was just one individual sitting in their office. So I think there's a lot of food for thought now. And I think the companies who are more progressive, the businesses that are more progressive, will be more successful in taking advantage of that way of thinking. And it's um, they will they will be the leading force in driving the change for the future so i'm optimistic i think that we will learn from this experience and we and we'll be entering a whole new era now of exciting possibilities
0: thank you for that for at least you've got a more uh, positive view on this than what i had after i saw the effect on the traffic because the last thing we want is for this experience that we've been through in the last two years or so, to simply be a, a blip in the timeline of history. We wanted to really make a difference, and a positive difference. So Maybe what we can say is to the people out there that are a bit skeptical like myself, if you are in a business that may be not so receptive to innovation, maybe because of the industry that you're in, or maybe from a different generation, look at these signs and try to make the best of it. Do not try to discourage it. Be aware that your uh, employees are now used to speaking to someone in a different part of the world any time of the day and bring them in and use those resources. I'm just using one example of what Paul said. So I think that's something that we could learn from. Just be, be conscious, make sure we don't fall back into old ways. Um, so all the way from innovation, we've now got to a bit of business process reengineering. Thank you very much for that, Paul. Uh, Is there anything else that you can add before we go? Just a a last message to our listeners at the end of the
1: pandemic? Uh, I think, Henko, I've enjoyed the discussion. My my, my passing thought would be that um, we can be as creative and innovative as we want to be. I think it's a question of the attitude that we take. So I would encourage uh, the audience out there, if you want your organization to be progressive, you know, do do reach out and be proactive in looking to inject different perspectives into your internal discussions. Think about who you're recruiting. Do you want a diversity of uh, points of view? Or do you want to recreate the mindset that you've already got? So be proactive about it and intentional. And I think the sky's the limit, Hank.
0: Great. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for joining us that was conversations in business with rsm experience the power of being understood experience rsm visit rsmza.co.za